Good morning, Midtown. Uh, as we come into worship this morning, this is the time of our worship service that is known as the call to worship. And it really is important that we all know that we are called into worship by our Father. And that worship is not only something um, that we were made to do, our Lord, our Father, calls us into worship because it is good for us. That between Sundays, we get lost in between our ears with narratives of shame and narratives of fear and narratives of hopelessness. And, and what, this, what this time is meant for is meant to reawaken us. It's meant to call us back to sanity. And so the Lord, in His kindness, He actually, through His Word, calls us back into worship because it's good for us to enter into just a few brief moments this morning of self-forgetfulness. It's good for us to magnify the Lord and to glorify Him that we would quit magnifying the other tapes we play in our heads uh, between Sundays. So as this thread gets pulled this morning, uh, we're going to sing, and then Matt's going to lead us uh, through another prayer of Paul this morning. And then we're going to close with some more worship together. But all throughout the thread is, is this promise, is this comfort, is this assurance that the Lord is the one who fights for his people. The Lord is the one who defends his people. And in between um, the Lord's safekeeping in the arms of our Father is a radiant, safe uh, refuge place. So hear now the call to worship from Psalm 34. These are the words of David. He says, I sought the Lord and he answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant. Their faces are never covered with shame. This poor man cried and the Lord heard him. He saved him out of all of his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him, and he delivers them. Glorify the Lord with me, and let us exalt his name together. Let's sing this morning, remembering that our God is for us, that he is with us. You are not flesh and bone. You are not weak or slow. You're everything brave and bold, you're fighting for us. You are not distant and cold, your heart's not angry or closed. Even in ways we don't know, you're fighting for us. comes to your children fiercely defend us do we stand delivered you're fighting for us always fighting for us you've never closed your eyes you've never been surprised whatever Fiercely defend us, do we stand delivered? 
fighting for us Always fighting for us How great the love Furious love of the one True Father How great the love The conquering love of the one True Defend us, we stand delivered. You're fighting for us, always fighting for us. You won't hold back when it comes to your children. You fiercely defend us, do we stand delivered? You're fighting for us, always fighting for us. thank you that you are for us, that you are moving towards us, that you are constantly fighting for us, fighting to make all things good in our lives. So Lord, now would you come and encourage us, open your word to us, and feed us, Lord, we pray. In the name of Jesus, amen. Okay, we're just going to jump right in. If you ask an active heroin user what they need to be okay, they're going to tell you, I just need more heroin. And the reality is, that's actually the opposite of what they need. They need no more heroin ever. And so for that person to get to a place where they are okay, they have to hear no. They have to hear no to what they think they need most. And uh, God is speaking to us as we study Paul's prayers in this series. Um, he is speaking to us through Paul's experience in prayer. In our passage today, we see God using Paul's suffering, his weaknesses, to draw Paul into himself so that he can tell him no to his requests. But, wait for it, so that he can actually give him what he really needs, uh, which is far superior to what Paul's asking for. And God has this in his word for us. Um, he has written this for our benefit, for our encouragement, so that we can learn how to come to him and we can know how he's working. And he draws us to himself through our weaknesses, through our pain, through our suffering, um, so that sometimes he can tell us no to what we think we need so that he can give us what we actually need. And so that's where we're going this morning. And we're going to read from 2 Corinthians 12, verses 7 through 9. Paul says this, So to keep me from becoming conceited, because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness." 
Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. So in this passage, we're going to look at Paul's weakness exposed, uh, the turn that he makes, and then see strength revealed. And so we're going to start here in verse 7 with uh, Paul's weakness exposed. Paul, Paul has a thorn in the flesh. Uh, what is this thorn? We, we don't really know. It could be a, a physical ailment of some sort. It could be physical opposition, uh, the way that he was beaten and jailed and, and even stoned, uh, opposition to the work that he's doing. Uh, but it, it's actually a blessing to us that we don't know what it is because that helps us to identify more with what God's doing here. Uh, and so this is where it gets really interesting. Who is this thorn from? It's from Satan. It says that Satan sent a messenger, which that word for messenger is like angelic messenger. So Satan sent a demon to harass Paul. And the word harass means to beat with a fist. So Satan sent a demon to beat Paul down. Um, but it also says that this is from God. So we have a really weird situation. Are we dealing with something where there's like a, a gift to us and the tag says to Matt from Satan and God? We, we went in on this together and got you something. Uh, that reminds me, we have three little boys. And the first time that we uh, read the story of Cain and Abel, actually, I read the story. Lee was against it. But uh, when I read the story about how one brother killed another brother, our son looked at us and said, does God know about this? And I said, yeah. And then that made it a thousand times worse because now he thinks that God's cool with this. Um, but that's actually not what's happening here. It's more like this. It's more like Satan was sending us something to destroy us and God just scratched out his name on the gift card and, and wrote his name over it. Um, so here we have uh, something, just one of the, the infinite things that we can worship God for is that he is uh, the ultimate regifter. That the Lord can take a demon sent from the pit of hell, literally sent to destroy us, and repurpose it to bless us. And that, that he deserves worship for that. Um, who is like this God? Uh, but now we have to ask another question is, why? Why would he re-gift this demonic harassment in Paul's life? Well, the answer to that question is, is what Paul says twice in this verse, in verse 7. He says, it's to keep me from becoming conceited. Conceit is to be overly self-confident. Another way to say it is conceit is believing that I can handle my life in my own strength, my own resources, my own intellect, my own talents, even if God never shows up. And what Paul is learning here, what God is making very clear to him, and he's making very clear to us, is that this is the most serious threat to Paul. God can handle anything that Satan himself throws at his people, but what is the most serious threat to Paul and to us is the threat of us becoming conceited, the threat of us believing that we can get through this life apart from God, and so we'll do it. And so when, when God makes it very clear that he cares the most about this, uh, then that means that I should care the most about this, and that should change the way that I think about my circumstances, that should change the way that I think about what is important and what I need. Um, I've been dealing with this myself a little bit as we're in the process of planting Congregation 5. And I had a particularly fun day the other day when uh, one of the things we've been doing during this season is we have a Congregation 5 podcast. You should check it out. It's amazing. And uh, one, one day, 
we, uh, I heard that there weren't very many people or as many people as I thought listening to the podcast. And on that same day, a couple of people asked me if we had found a location yet, and we hadn't. And so I was feeling pretty low. I was feeling like, you know, I don't even know if anybody wants to listen to me. I don't know if I have what it takes. Um, Lord, do, do I have what it takes to plant this church? And he said, no. And that was not encouraging. But then um, he said, no, this is actually a great gift. Um, this is a great gift to you because if you had everything lined up, you would be so tempted to concede. You would be so tempted to, to not come to me and just do everything in your own power, and you would miss everything. You would miss all the good gifts I have for you. You'd miss me displaying my power in your, in your midst and in your presence. And so the question for, for us this morning is, where do you feel weak? Um, where has, what has quarantine exposed in you? What, what is all this uh, dialogue about racial justice exposed in you? Where do you feel overwhelmed? Where do you feel threatened? Where do you feel insecure? And maybe more importantly, what have you been doing with those things when you found them? How have you been dealing with those things? And here in this passage, Paul shows us where we need to go. Where do we go when we get in touch with our weakness? Um, and that brings us to our, our second point, is this pleading in prayer. Paul's suffering drives him to pleading prayer to God to take it away. Um, this summer, we have a, a screened-in porch, and we had a dove that was trapped in our screened-in porch, and our boys were excited because they thought we had a new pet bird, but uh, it kept slamming itself into the screens. And so what I did was I got this big blanket, and I walked out there, and I got around behind it, and I used the blanket to lead it out, to drive it out the door of the screened-in porch. And that's exactly what God is doing with our weaknesses and our suffering and our circumstances. He is using all of this as this big blanket to drive us to him in pleading prayer. He wants us to come to him because he wants, us, he wants to answer our prayers. He wants to give us his good gifts because he is our good father. And, and here we see it says Paul prayed three times. And so it's good to know that because now you know that you only get three chances to pray for something. And so you need to take advantage of them. That's not what that means. Paul prayed three times because after the third time, God, uh, I'm still laughing at my own joke. That's good. Um, after the third time, Jesus answered him. And so what it's saying here is not that you need to pray three times, that three is a magic number. It's saying that you go to your Savior and you pray to him until he answers you, because he will. You have that freedom. A few weeks ago, we preached about the persistent widow. Jesus is inviting us to go to him persistently and pray and bring our needs, bring our pleadings until he answers them. But something that uh, we need to know here is that true pleading prayer is not just throwing a list of demands at God and walking away. That's not what Paul is talking about here. True pleading prayer involves space to hear from God and to let him speak back to you, to hear from his response, to let him orient you to who he is and who you are and what he's doing. Uh, take heart because David in Psalm 65, 2 says that this is how David knows God. He called him, O you who hear prayer. So this father who loves you is driving you to him in prayer because he wants to give you something. And so what does he give us? It's actually not what he's giving us. It's not a new thing. It's he's revealing what he's already given us. And so here in, we see this in verse 9. Jesus speaks to Paul. 
he answers Paul's prayers by speaking to him, and he simply tells him what he needs to hear the most. He doesn't answer his question. He doesn't tell him whether he's going to take the thorn away or not. He just says, my grace is sufficient for you. Sufficient. That word sufficient means it's enough. It's enough to be satisfied. It's enough to be content. God's grace to us is always, always, always sufficient. What we already have in Christ is always sufficient to be enough for us to be satisfied in Him, to be content no matter what our circumstances are. We believe that it's our circumstances that determine whether or not we're satisfied, whether or not we have enough, whether or not we're content. And what God is saying here is that we're wrong. And so we are forced to this question of faith of who are we going to trust? Am I going to believe myself and what I think I need to be satisfied and to be content? Or am I going to believe my Heavenly Father who loves me and knows everything and, and made me for His purposes? And we need to hear this too. Relief of our circumstances alone leads to conceit. If I only have relief from my circumstances not coupled with anything else, that will always lead to conceit. That will always lead me to believe that I have the strength that I need to make life work, and I will walk away from God, and I won't come back until I need something else, and I will only come back to get that thing and then walk away again. But God loves us too much to leave us unchanged. He loves us too much to leave us distant from Him. I cannot be satisfied in God alone when I think I need something outside of Him to be satisfied. And he says, I love you too much to leave you in that place. So it's not that I need less pain, it's that I need more of Jesus. It's less, I just need you to do something, and it's more, I just need you. That's where he's leading us. And he also says this, my power is made perfect in weakness. Um, that, that phrase, made perfect, or that word there, means to bring to fruition. It means to bring to the point that it's realized, uh, to bring to light in all of its glory. So think about it like this. If, if we're thinking about our strength in terms of flooring, um, our strength is like a 70s shag carpet that's brown and burnt orange and smells like wet dogs and old cigarettes and is fraying. And God's, we, we go to him and we're embarrassed. And so we go to God asking for Febreze and superglue. And what he does is actually something much better. Um, he allows what's underneath that to be exposed and it's like seeing the, the, the ornate marble floors of the Palace of Versailles, which, you know, if you don't know what that is, look it up. I'm not exactly sure what it is, but I know it's in Paris and, or near Paris, and it's beautiful. I saw a picture on the internet. Um, so it's underneath our strength, which is actually weakness, is God's great strength. Um, that's always been in there, but he has to expose our weakness to reveal the strength that we have in Christ for everything that he's already given us. So when I bring my weaknesses to God, then he reveals his love and power to me that has always been there. Those things have always been there in Christ because I am in Christ and he is in me. Uh, and so now, like Paul, we can boast in our weaknesses. Um, that is, that we can tell about our weaknesses in the context of God's strength and how he's used those weaknesses to reveal his strength to us, and then we celebrate that because now we see, maybe for the first time, deeper into what's already ours in Christ. It's like we're running around saying, look at what God has done when I only had this old shag carpet. Um, look at what he's given me when all I was asking for was Febreze and superglue. He's given me this beautiful, 
ornate, strong marble floor. He's, he's revealed what's been there this whole time. And this exchange, my strength for his strength, or my weakness for his strength, uh, it frees me. It frees me from things. It frees me from things like fear, from scarcity, from slavery to my circumstances. But it also frees me for things. It frees me for things like loving others and knowing God more intimately and enjoying his love and being in awe of his power that is always working in me and around me. And it also frees me up to, for the first time to worship him as I was made to do. That's what you and I were made to do, is to worship God. But when we are enslaved and blinded by uh, believing that what we need is, is our circumstances to change, uh, then we're always in panic, we're always in anxiety, and we can't ever see what's already ours. We can't worship him. And so we need to know that and be reminded here by, by Paul and by Jesus that um, God loves us so much that he sent his son Jesus to suffer and die in our place, and he was raised again so that we never have to fear suffering and death again. Think about that. You and I never have to fear any suffering or any death ever again. And God did that for us because he loves us. The Father sent the Son because he loves us. The Son did that because he loves us. And the Spirit works in us now because he loves us. And he wants to bring us into new life. He is, he's bringing us into life with him forever. And so now, because this is true, because we know this, we can let God expose our weaknesses. We can boast in our weaknesses. And when he exposes them, we can let that drive us to Jesus in pleading prayer and say, Lord, please take this away. And he's going to answer that prayer in one of two ways. He's either going to intervene and change our circumstances and or he is going to give us more of himself and say, these circumstances aren't going to change like Paul's circumstances didn't change, but I'm actually going to give you more of myself and you're going to care a lot less about your circumstances when I do that. You're going to be able to be satisfied in me. You're going to be able to be content in me. You're going to know that you have more than enough. You have an abundance in me for all of your needs. And as he does that, he gives us his strength, and we watch as he works that strength out in our lives and through our lives for our good and for his glory. Let's pray. Father, it is so scary to have our weaknesses exposed. It is so scary uh, to walk through this world where it feels like there are traps and snares around every corner. But Lord, you, you tell us here, and, and we ask that you would give us the strength to believe. Give us the faith to believe and walk in this belief that we do not have to be afraid of suffering. We do not have to be afraid of death. We do not have to be afraid of weakness. We don't have to be threatened by our smallness. Uh, we just need to come to you, our loving Father, and receive exactly what we need. Sometimes it's not what we pray for, uh, but it's always better. It's always enough. It's always more than enough. And so, Lord, lead us into believing that so that we don't miss you working. We don't miss opportunities to come to you and receive more of you, and we don't misinterpret our circumstances to believe something crazy like you don't love us or that you're not paying attention. Lord, let us see with the eyes of our heart uh, that you always love us. You are always working your power and your love out in our lives. And uh, we bless you for that, and we worship you in Jesus' name. Friends, as we sing this song, um, offer up to God the things 
for which you crave change and growth or healing or answers. Um, and seeing this as a declaration of the fact that our Jesus is a Jesus we can trust and that those things don't go to waste, we can trust him with us and with our stories. And he's good. Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus just to take him at his word just to rest upon his promise just to know the saith the Lord Jesus Jesus how I trust Let's read Psalm 23 together. Um, let's read it as a prayer um, to remind us of what we just sang and to remind us that it's true. Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. 
He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. sing this last song, let's take courage that nothing can separate us from the love of Christ, that he is working all things, all things for our good. Nothing can separate, even if I ran away, your love never fails. still make mistakes but you have new mercies for me every day your love never fails you stay the same through the ages your love never changes there may be pain in the night but joy comes in the morning Rage. I don't have to be afraid Cause I know that you love me Your love never fails When it's strong and the water's deep I'm not alone here on these open seas your love never fails The chasm is far too wide I never thought I'd reach the other side But your love never fails You stay the same through the ages pain in the night joy comes in the morning and when the oceans rage I don't have to be afraid cause I know that you love me together for my good you make all things work together for my good you make all things work together for my good you make all things work together for my good you stay the same through the ages 
Your love never changes There may be pain in the night But joy comes in the morning And when the oceans rage I don't have to be afraid Cause I know that you love me Your love never fails Oh, your love never fails And you make all things work together for my good You make all things Work together for my good. Yes, you make all things work together for my good. You make all things work together for my good. As we consider what Matt just uh, preached to us, considering the sufficiency of Christ uh, that is given to us as such a gift from God our Father. Let us leave with this benediction from 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 8. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. Go in peace.